0: Welcome to Leadership and Life with Sandy Giroux. When you think about today's great leaders, do you ever wonder what makes them so great? Is it just the titles they hold, or could it also be how they behave toward their people? They lead effectively, not because they have a job in their life, but because they bring life to the job. By following their examples, you can do the same. Now, here is your host, Sandy Giroux.
1: Welcome, and thank you for joining us on Leadership and Life, the show that helps you master effective leadership skills and habits, not only in the workplace, but in your everyday life as well. I'm your host, Sandy Giroux, and I'm so glad you're here. Now, last week, we talked about Wow Place rule number one, a Wow Place is safe. Not OSHA safe, so people don't break their necks, but emotionally safe, so we don't break their spirits. In other words, leaders must set the stage for team members to feel safe to engage, contribute, and share their ideas in order to truly partner with them and create success for both parties as well as the organization. And we've all heard that one of the main characteristics of great leaders is that they surround themselves with great people because they know they can't do or know it all. And then they actually listen to the people they hire and utilize their knowledge, expertise, and advice to create higher levels of growth and prosperity for everyone in the organization. What a concept. (laughs) Well, this week, I have two exciting guests on the show who personify this concept perfectly and demonstrate the incredible power of a strategic partnership between an engaging and engaged leader and an incredible team member who is committed to helping everyone succeed. So let me tell you a little bit about them and then bring them on to share with you. Lucy Brazier is the CEO of Marsham Publishing, a specialist publisher of Executive Secretary Magazine, which is a global training magazine based in the UK and dedicated to the professional development needs of senior and aspiring administrative professionals. In fact, Lucy is the world's leading authority in the administrative professional industry and her passion is for the assistant role to be truly recognized as the business partnership that champions the individual and the company and the people they work with. And every leader needs that. Now, Lucy has trained, presented, and chaired in over 40 countries at more than 400 events, but she's also been a publisher and events organizer for 28 years and has previously managed a team based in Singapore, New York, Germany, and London, responsible for 13 magazines, 12 international conferences, awards, trade show attendance, and marketing. Now, Lucy is a powerhouse leader, and she knows how to engage her people and bring out the best in them. Which brings me to my second guest today, Matthew Want, who is Lucy's personal assistant and an integral part of the team, organizing events in the UK, Dubai, South Africa, New Zealand, Washington, D.C., and soon-to-be Australia. Now Matthew's career achievements range from being ranked, get this, number three out of 250 on the Eventopedia PA Power List in 2016 to being featured in articles in Exceptional EA and Eventopedia throughout 2015. He's also been profiled in several publications and was nominated for the Excellence Award at E-U-M-A in 2014 and for the London PA Awards in 2016. Matthew is an exceptional male assistant in a female-dominated industry and a true strategic partner to Lucy. He's also a role model who's leading the way for all male assistants by demonstrating his drive, passion, and enthusiasm for this role. Now, I've worked closely with Lucy and Matthew, and that's why I wanted to interview them for this show. Lucy is an incredible inspiration and leader, and Matthew is so committed to creating an exceptional experience, a wow experience for everyone around him, and so organized that he did not miss a beat handling everything I needed with ease and grace from across the world when I had the privilege of being invited to speak at one of their events in London. So... Let me just get right to them and say thank you, Lucy and Matthew, for joining me here today. So delighted to be here. Thank you so much, Sandy. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, now, Now that we've let our listeners know a little bit about you formally, I'd love to ask both of you how you two met and decided to work together. And let's start with Lucy. I mean, every leader dreams of hiring that ideal person who will be your right-hand person that will allow you to focus on doing what you do best. So how did you meet and hire Matthew and to help the leaders in our audience recognize what you recognized in him, what helped you to know that he was the right fit for you and your organization. Well, um, Matthew actually initially
2: was working um, as um, an assistant in a gardening center, and he was very, very young when I first came across him. He um, came to work for me, um, having worked with me on an event which was, well, me being me, was um, a local chamber of commerce event for our local town, and Matthew was the secretary for the local Chamber of Commerce, um, and we put on an event for the town for Christmas, and we had... Real reindeer and um, Father Christmas, who was going down the street in a sled, and one of the kids from the local school, who designed a poster, was able to travel with Father Christmas, and we had snow machines and choirs. And it was just, you know, me being me a ridiculous um, local event, actually. But Matthew had a good time on that, I think, and so did I, and we worked together really quite closely. Um, And at the end of that, we agreed that actually I had only launched the magazine about eight months before and I needed somebody desperately to stop me from drowning. And he had been so efficient <laughs> that I felt he was absolutely the right person.
1: Wow. Anybody who can handle you, keep you from drowning, and handle real reindeer and sleighs is aces in my books. That's <laughs> 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 Awesome. Okay, so that's wonderful how you met. Now, Matthew, it's your turn. What was it that you saw or recognized in Lucy that led you to know she was the right person for you to work with?
3: Well, when I first met Lucy, I could see her drive and her passion straight away. That was very clear, um, as Lucy just said, you know, we took a small a small event that had a couple of hundred people and with Lucy's input and organizational skills, we transformed it into an event with real reindeer, with Santa going up and down the street with snow machines. And we managed to have about six to 8,000 people there in the evening, so it was significantly bigger compared to what it used to be. And it, just from seeing Lucy, the spark in Lucy and what she'd done with the magazine so far and what her aim and goal was, to push forward, to have the events around the world, you know, to reach reach areas within the world that we didn't know had assistance. To have that ambition and that passion, when she'd only had the magazine for eight months, was such a great light to me. It made me see what else was out there and what the possibilities were, and believe in Lucy that she could do it.
1: Wow. So that spark, that drive, that passion, you know, I've read articles and seen things all over the place that one of the most important factors in an authentic leader is that drive and that passion and the ability to translate that passion from yourself to other people. So it sounds like Lucy does a great job of doing that and really was able to help you translate that to a passion for yourself as well. So uh, what I really wanted to also ask you was, you know, that's what brought you together, but a lot of people are attracted to each other as, as you know, workers together, as strategic partners, and attracted to a business. But then something happens when they get there. And they don't stay together. But you and Lucy, I'm not sure how long you've been together, but I'd love for you to tell us that. And tell us how you manage to stay so passionate about what you do. How, Lucy, do you inspire Matthew and everybody on your team? Because I've met other members of your team and everyone is just as engaged as you are. How do you keep that spark going and keep them inspired to reach higher? And, you know, what's your secret for being the great inspiring leader that keeps people engaged? Bless you, Sandy. I very much (laughs) feel
2: that... um, I have a vision for where I want this marketplace to go, and I hope that I communicate that really well. Um, I think that my team really understand exactly what I'm trying to do and where there is um, a gap in the market and things that need to be recognized, you know? Um, So I... I mean, I talk to my team all the time about what we're trying to achieve. And also, you know, they can see that I'm not just talking the talk, I am walking the walk. So I'm out there all the time. I think last year was 41 countries. Um, So I come back with stories um, of things that have happened whilst I'm away. But also, you know, we have emails on a weekly basis from assistants across the world who write and say, you've changed my life. Now, I've been in publishing, as you said, for 28 years this year. I've never had that on any other publication. And I make sure that the team are a very integral part of that success, and that they understand when we're getting amazing feedback. And they understand when I'm working with people and we make great gains in the industry as well. So hopefully they feel like we're all doing this together. I'm very much a leader that says you're working with me, not for me.
1: Oh, I love that. Um, and and the, what you just said right now, the communication piece is so huge. So many times people just assume that everybody knows that what they're doing. and you know, They know what they're doing. They know the results they're getting. And there's no communication to the team. But do you have weekly meetings or do you just have impromptu meetings? How do you keep that communication going? I love the fact that you say I talk all the time to the team. How could another leader model that? Is it a weekly thing and then impromptu? impromptu meetings in between or how do you manage making that communication happen?
2: Well, I have to say, particularly between um, an executive and assistant, I feel like if executives were to use the assistant properly, you would probably change the entire economy. And so many <laughs> don't. And you're absolutely right, Sandy. I think that probably what that boils down to more than anything is communication. All the research we have done has proven that where assistants and executives don't work particularly well together, it's because the communication has broken down. Um uh, And I'm a great believer that you need to hand over um, the administrative tasks to your administrator because uh, if you think there's a great um, other leader, actually, which if anybody wants to look him up, you'll you'll find him all over the place. His name is Jeff Hoffman, and he started Priceline and Booking.com. And Jeff tells a story when he's on stage whereby he says that uh, he went to go and see a great friend of his who was an eminent heart surgeon. And when he um, walked in, his friend was doing his calendar and he said to him, what are you doing? And his friend said, well, I'm doing my calendar. And he said, but aren't you worth $500 an hour? So Jeff very much says, you know, if you don't have an assistant, then you are an assistant. And in effect, you're paying that money for an assistant to do, for for yourself to do those tasks. So for me, Matt and I, I think, have a very clear delineation between what the expectation is Um, he fills in the gaps where I'm rubbish at stuff. And we talk, well, we probably have a meeting once a week that's an hour to two hours, dependent on what project we've got going on and how much um, information I need to get from him and vice versa. But we touch base every single day, just for 10 minutes that he's got everything prioritised so that when we're chatting he's able to say and what's happening with this and how do you feel about this and I've got this email how do you want me to answer it so that actually by doing that 10 minutes he's then able to get on with his job and have um, you know the autonomy to go and make decisions on the bits of the work that are his and that way you end up I think if you're treating every member of the team um, like they have their own role and they have the autonomy to do it with a team of people who are managers and who do have faith in what they're doing. And I think that breeds contentment and people being able to do their jobs without looking over their shoulder.
1: That's wonderful. And you know what, that format, the 10 minutes a day and just really keeping in, in touch with your assistant, I hear so many leaders talk about the fact that they really they don't say it in so many words, but you can hear that they don't value or utilize their assistant to the fullest extent that they could. And they're really missing out. I mean, I did a program recently where one of the assistants told me that She has a boss who has an open-door policy, which is fabulous. We all want an open-door policy and be able to talk to our leaders. But this man's open-door policy was such that he had people coming to him. They were planning an event. They had T-shirts that they were ordering for everybody who was going to be at the event, every employee. And the employees, rather than going to the assistant, were coming to the leader and saying, Hey, do you have any medium blue T-shirts? You know, Can I have a medium one? Can you look for a small one for me? sitting there saying how in the world do you lead when you're looking for t-shirts and, and this now Ria <laughs> isn't it crazy <laughs> This now is now from Matt because here is what I hear from the assistants and I want to hear from you how do you get the gumption to push back on something like that so many assistants I talk to are really timid I'm the assistant I'm the you know the subordinate I can't speak back to them I can't talk back I can't do anything like that so Matt how do you have the self confidence and where do you see gaps And things that Lucy might not even recognize, how do you bring them forward to her in a diplomatic way to say, hey, Lucy, I think that we might have an opportunity for improvement here. So, Matthew, I I don't know, do you prefer Matt or Matthew, by the way? I've always called you Matthew, but do you like either way?
3: I don't mind either way. I'm happy either way. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't mind either way. That's fine. Okay.
1: Well, can you just tell us real briefly, we'll start this conversation and then we're going to break for um, a short message, but tell us how you recognize those gaps and then how do you bring them to Lucy's attention if she's not seeing it?
3: I think it's all about seeing the overall plan of what you're doing. I think a lot of people just see the start and the end and obviously there's so many bits in between. Um, it 's something that over time i 've got better at, and I think, as you do a project more often, you tend to pick up what needs to do in between and what hasn 't been done and it 's finding the municipal details like for example, with our uh, events that we do around the world it 's about all the details in between the small things that, that put together the event. And I know that if I go to Lucy and one thing that works really well with the assistants that we speak to is it's not necessarily about what it's gonna save you time, it's also what it's gonna save your executive time. So if you go to your executive and you say, Look, I found this plan, I found this idea, it's gonna save us x amount of money and it's gonna save you X amount of time, your boss is more likely to turn around and say, Yeah, that's great, go and do it than if you just go in there and say, Right, we wanna do this. It's all about being tactical and the way you approach it with your executive and as you said different bosses different executives have different relationships with their assistants and with the office and it's about knowing what your executive wants and how to go about that to approach them best to get the best out of yourself and out of them
1: So it's really about knowing your audience. You know, you know your executive and you know how you can speak with them and what they will and will not accept. But I heard something really important because sometimes when you're working with someone new, you don't really know them well enough and you have to be diplomatic. But I think one thing that you said was really standing out in my mind, and that was that you were uh, talking about what's the benefit to them. So if you position it with the benefit to them in mind, it will always help. And with that, we do need to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking again with Matthew and Lucy, hearing a little bit more about how they communicate with each other, how they keep each other engaged. So stay tuned.
0: Do you sometimes find it challenging to inspire your team members to engage and contribute to your organization's success? Do your team members have trouble communicating across and even within generations? Leadership and Life is dedicated to helping you turn your workplace into a wow place by implementing everyday actions that inspire your teams to reach higher. Sandy Giroux, founder and CEO of Wow Place International, has over 30 years of leadership experience and offers deep insights to help leaders and team members build a bridge to understanding and improving the workplace experience. Her insights for leaders help them uncover blind spots and identify what they may be doing to inhibit employee engagement. Her insights for team members inspire them to seek new perspectives, understand others' viewpoints, and find ways to go the extra mile to create wow experiences. Sandy has helped over 25,000 attendees and 125 companies Activate a culture of wow. For more information, visit thewowplace.com.
1: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN.
0: This is Leadership and Life. To reach Sandy Giroux or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 472 5790. You may also send an email to sandy at the wowplace.com. Now, back to Leadership and Life.
1: Welcome back to Leadership and Life. I'm Sandy Drew, and I'm here with my two guests from the UK, Lucy Brazier and Matthew Want, who have a powerhouse strategic business partnership. Before we went on break... Matthew was talking to us about how he actually brings things to Lucy as his executive to try to help her be able to focus on what she does best and to help her recognize when there might be some things that she's overlooking. Now I'd like to toss it to Lucy, who's going to tell us how she communicates best with Matt and how she loves the way that he positions it for her. So Lucy, explain a little bit more about that communication between you and Matt and how you two stay so engaged with each other to be able to create that partnership. Yes, well, I think what Matt
2: said about um, positioning stuff so that it is for the business is so important. And I think that for quite a lot of executives and assistants, it's forgotten somewhere in the middle that the assistant is actually employed to make the executive the best that they can possibly be. And they are employed by the business to do that. They're not employed by the executive. So, for me, when Matt brings stuff to me and says, if we do this, this is going to save us this amount of money, or I think this process that we're doing is taking far too long and I've got a better idea around how we do that, or um, this thing that we've got going on um, at the event is great, but actually I've been thinking about ways that we could do that more efficiently. All of that goes directly to the bottom line if I follow it through. Um, And I think quite often, executives don't know how to manage their assistants. We forget that the average um, age manager gets management training is 42. So that's a heap of senior management working around who have no clue what they're doing at all. And (laughs) as far as the assistant is concerned anyway, and actually, you know, it's... um, it's down to the assistant to train them how to use them. I know, certainly, there was there's an amazing assistant by the name of Florence Katono, who um, is out of Uganda, but she has won the global award for the best assistant in the world. And certainly at the Bank of Uganda, where she is, you are only allowed to stay with your executive for two years, because after that, you move on to somebody who hasn't any experience of, um, manage, of working with an assistant, and you train the new executive how to use the assistant properly. So if you think about it, that kind of spiders out across the organisation, and it makes absolute sense, because Certainly, I remember the very first assistant I ever had. You know, I was delighted to be given her, but it was very much a status symbol. I had no clue how to use her at all. So for me, to be in a situation um, where I had somebody who trained me how to use her to the best, I really think has changed the way that my business life has gone because she supported me absolutely totally in the things that I'm terrible at. I know from psychometric testing that I've done that I am rubbish at completing and finishing anything. I'm great at coming up with amazing ideas and driving stuff forward and all that good stuff, but I'm not so good at picking up the detail and the process behind that, whereas Matthew scores hugely in that. He's really adept at completing and finishing things that I put in place, and in fact, when I go to him and say I've had a mad idea, he goes pale because he knows it's going to be him that has to implement it, (laughs) but, but, you know... I think the thing with Matt and I is that we've worked together now for six years and there is a great mutual respect that when he does come to me and say, Lucy, you're mad, what are you trying to do with this? I really respect that, you know, because I know he has my best interests at heart. What do you think, Matt? Do you think I'm uh, along the right lines there?
3: No, definitely. I think you're you're, you're spot on there. I think it's... Um I, I think it's also over time how we as you said we built our relationship and our trust with each other. I think that's one key thing and and back when I first started with you, if I came to you with a solution or idea, you'd be more hesitant to to run with it because we didn't have that that level and I didn't know the business as well. Whereas now because I've been with you for six years, I think definitely there is that added level of trust and, and respect as well that makes you stop and think Yes, he knows what he's talking about. Yes, that will be great for the business. Yes, that will be a really good idea. And I think it's, yeah, I think you're definitely spot on with what you just said.
2: But you also get more and more proactive, which is wonderful because when an assistant starts with a new executive, they're always going to be reactive because they're learning about the business, they're learning about the way that the executive likes to work, all that good stuff. But actually, over a period of time, um, it gets to a point where the really top assistants are able to look into the future almost. You know, they attend board meetings and they listen to what's being said and they work out what's coming up, or they are reading stuff that's coming coming in and working out what meetings need to be set up. You know, these days, I think Matt takes an enormous amount of pride in me saying to him, oh, I need you to do this. And he says, done it done it weeks ago. <laughs> so, um, and that, for me, is an exceptional assistant.
1: Yes, and it really is. I, I want to point out something, though, too. Um, I love the fact that you both talked about mutual respect and trust. And, Matt, you talked about the fact that you're able to do more now because Lucy does have that faith in you. But I want to point out, too, that it's because Lucy allowed you as well to be proactive and to take on new things. So many leaders have their assistants in a box, all their team members, actually, in a box. You were hired to do this, and that's all you're ever going to do, and that's all I'm going to allow you to do. And so many assistants get frustrated and stifled with that because they're not allowed to develop that relationship and to show that they can do more it's one of the biggest things that I teach when I do staff training for administrative professionals is how they can get around that kind of thing so Lucy you were saying that you're absolute rubbish at one thing but Matt is really great at that were you always able to recognize those blind spots that you had maybe, or those strengths and, and the challenges, or did you did it take a little bit of time for you to do that? And, and Matt, where do you rely on Lucy to also point out to you, hey, you know what, if you, how much coaching does Lucy do for you so that you can become better and better as well? So do you look for that in her? How do you work that yeah.
3: Oh, definitely, I've seen Lucy as a, an, an inspiration and a role model since day one that I met her. And like I said previously, her, pride, uh, her drive and her passion for what she believes and what we are going towards is such an inspiration for me on a daily basis. I think that I've been lucky enough as well with the events that we do, meeting all the wonderful speakers as well, and that is thanks to Lucy. And Lucy is the fountain of knowledge which she has helped me to grow as a person from who I was to who I am and who I will be and I think you always learn from your executive your executive is always there to although you're there as the assistant to help your executive grow your executive is also there to help you grow they're always coming up with ideas and you're always coming up with ideas and having that partnership there is a way to build each other that's continuous and I I don't think it's a relationship that will ever stop building each other and I. Like, owe oh, what I have and who I am to Lucy. and um, She is my role model and I look up to her of every aspect.
1: Wow.
2: And I think I think for me, you asked whether I was always like this in the beginning. I think I was always a bit mad. I mean, I, I, even as a school child, I was organizing um, big plays and inviting people and raising money for charity and things. I think I, I went to... A school in London called Godolphin and Latimer which is one of the top girls schools in London um, and th- my parents always said that they walked through the door and everybody was talking as fast as I do and um, they thought that was probably the place for me. Having said that I have had inspirational leaders myself you know and having been in publishing for 28 years I got into it when I was 18 years old and I've had some amazing executives who really really developed me and put time into tying me down to being the best that I could be as well. So one in particular I um, can mention is a guy called Jim Hay, who was like the grand old man of publishing when I first became a publisher. And he sat there and took the time to really talk me through things and one of the first things he said to me was you know Lucy you're going to be an amazing publisher when you don't just look at the positive you have to look at what the downside is on things as well and work out what you're going to do if things go wrong and that was a great piece of advice and the other thing that he said to me was when you walk into an event as a publisher you should have at least a dozen people come and say hello Lucy because they know who you are, because you're at the centre of that marketplace. And when you've done that, that you know you get it you've got it right. Now, with this magazine, pretty much anywhere I walk in, in the world I have people coming and saying, I know you can't believe you're here. I can't believe I'm meeting you which is bizarre but really very wonderful. So Jim Hay very much um, in his time, built me as a publisher and got me to a stage that I am, which allowed me when I started my own thing to... Really get to grips with it. But I think it was also very good for me that before Matt came on board for those eight months, I'd been used to managing 80 people and 13 magazines and sitting there in a meeting in the morning and saying to everybody, Right, you need to go and do this today, you need to go and do that today, and delegating everything. And when I started this magazine, I worked from home and I had to do all of it. So it was very good for me to have to go back to the beginning and to. Um, re-educate myself, actually, on completing and finishing things, but I was very, very delighted when Matt came on board, and I was able to pass that bit over to him, I have to say.
1: (laughs) Well, there's a perfect example of just because you can doesn't mean you should, and you found that out, that yes, I can do it, but now you're able to focus on, look at the powerhouse you've built because you have that support from Matt, and the lessons that you learned from the other leaders that you knew are fantastic. And Matt, what's one big lesson that Lucy has passed on to you and helped you grow with? Is there something that you can think of that wow, this was a great piece of advice she gave me
3: Definitely, I think it's always you know as as Lucy said, don't just look at the positives, look at the negatives you know it's it's I think as an assistant, you always focus more uh, on what you may or may not think has gone wrong. And it can be quite a lonely role, and it does It does get – it can be quite tough at times. But I think one thing Lucy's taught me and that she teaches the assistants around the world is that you are great at what you do and don't always solely focus on the negative stuff. You know, the amount of stuff – and Lucy teaches it in her sessions – the amount of stuff you do as an assistant on a daily basis that you don't recognize – that you do every day that helps your executive and your team is so inspirational and amazing that when something bad happens, that's all you seem to focus on. You don't seem to focus on what is right and what you do correctly.
1: And that seems to be a trait of just about everybody I know, isn't it? We, we're we so hard on ourselves. We do one thing wrong, and we beat ourselves up mercilessly. I know even as a speaker, when I see the evaluations, there can be 500 people in the audience, and 499 loved what I had to say, and one didn't. And what do I focus on? The one comment that wasn't positive. And I hear this so many, so many times from my colleagues leagues as well so uh, I think that as assistants as well we undervalue everything that we do when I was an assistant which I started out in my early career doing and I have over 20 years doing that I always undervalued what I did. And I hear this not just from assistants, but also from leaders, that if I do it, it can't be that special. You just take it for granted because I'm doing something a particular way or a certain way. Well, it must be nothing. It, It must be just, you know, ordinary, nothing out of the box. But I tell people, listen, when somebody sees something that you do, And they say to you, wow, I didn't know you could do that or I didn't know you could do that that way. Bingo. Right there is something that you should be recognizing as, whoa, maybe that's not what everybody does and maybe there is something. And that's how I add more value. That's how I can recognize how I add more value. I always talk about team members and tell them, don't be just indispensable, Be invaluable. There is a big difference. The position is indispensable, but what you do and how you do it, the person who fills that position is the one who adds value all the time. And it sounds, Lucy and Matt, like you've recognized the value that you each add to each other, not just the job. And I love hearing that. So, how do you guys? You know, you you work very well together, but it also sounds like you have a lot of fun with each other. And I saw you when I was in London, and you sure know how to have fun. So, Matt, what's the most fun thing <laughs> about Lucy that you love working with her for?
3: I love how that, uh, no matter what what the situation is, you know, it. It's, uh, Lucy has a saying that, you know, if it's Nothing, it's not the end you know if something goes wrong there's always a way to fix it I think it's just how I mean you get some executives we've, we've had cases around the world where if something goes wrong their executive will basically shout at them and just you know go at them I love what with Lucy that if something does go wrong you know we look at ways that we can fix instead sort of focusing on what's gone wrong and it's great to have that I think because we had that friendship before I started working with Lucy, I think that added another layer to the, re- the relationship, the trust, the respect that builds up over time, and we still do have that friendship um, inside and outside of the workplace, and I think that's key to any executive assistant relationship is having that level of friendship as well, because if you don't get on with your executive, then it's not going to work at all, no matter how, how hard you try.
1: I love that. And and you hear so many times, though, that leaders can't be friends with their team members. And we know that there are exceptional situations where that is just not true. How do you, is there a line that you walk that you just make sure, look, you know, we're friends, but we're not, you know, intimate. We're How do we, how do, we do that? How do you manage that friendship and that line between work? Because I, I hear so many people say, I, I can't work with my friends or for my friends because I can't be tough with them when I need to be. So how do you walk that line, Matt?
3: Um, it can be, I think there's, there's times when it, it can be more difficult than others. I think, obviously, depending on what the project is or what's happening around certain areas, it can be difficult because we have that level of friendship. But I think we know that if, if something happens, if something goes wrong, I think because we have that level of friendship, we know that we're not going to hold a grudge with each other. You know, We're not going to be annoyed and at the end of the day, we all make mistakes. We're human and we know that it can be fixed and that we can go back to each other and give it a few days and it'll be absolutely fine. There's nothing that's serious that will cause a rift in our working awesome. relationship or our friendship.
1: Wow. I love that. And when we come back, Lucy, I'd love to hear. We're going to take a quick break right now. And I'd love to hear your take on that as well, Lucy, because you obviously have made that work where so many leaders and their partners are not able to make it work. So stay tuned. We're going to be back in a few minutes.
0: Do you sometimes find it challenging to inspire your team members to engage and contribute to your organization's success? Do your team members have trouble communicating across and even within generations? Leadership and Life is dedicated to helping you turn your workplace into a wow place by implementing everyday actions that inspire your teams to reach higher. Sandy Giroux, founder and CEO of Wow Place International, has over 30 years of leadership experience and offers deep insights to help leaders and team members build a bridge to understanding and improving the workplace experience. Her insights for leaders help them uncover blind spots and identify what they may be doing to inhibit employee engagement. Her insights for team members inspire them to seek new perspectives, understand others' viewpoints, and find ways to go the extra mile to create wow experiences. Sandy has helped over 25,000 attendees in 125 companies Activate a culture of wow. For more information, visit thewowplace.com.
1: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN.
0: This is Leadership and Life. To reach Sandy Giroux or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to sandy at thewowplace.com. Now, back to Leadership and Life.
1: And we're back. Before the break... We were talking with Matt about how he walks that delicate line between being a colleague and uh, employee of Lucy's and that friendship that they have inside and outside the workplace. But I'd love to hear Lucy's take on that as well. Lucy, how do you walk that line as well and keep the relationship respectful and trustful and all of that? Because so many leaders don't think that this kind of thing can exist with their executives or anybody on their team. So tell us how you manage that.
2: Um, I think that there is a very definite line. I think that, um, you know, that when we're in work, we're in work, and when we're not in work, we're not. Um, and having said that, I think what you just said then resonates totally with me about trust. That's what it boils down to. And I know that when Matthew is, um, working for me, whether things are going right or whether they're going wrong, he's always put absolutely everything into it. He's an absolutely exceptional young man. He's not even 30 yet. Um. And what even most of our clients don't know is that um, when Matt was born, he had to have a liver transplant. Um, he was one of the very first children in the UK to have that. Um, oh. And the first one rejected, and he had to have a second one. Now, when I first met Matt, he had barely traveled and um, he, I mean, not even into London, and he was. Very young, and as I said, he was working at the garden center. But he was so passionate about living every day to um, the best of his ability and to putting everything into everything that he did, actually, that you can't fail to be. Um, attracted to that and in fact when we started traveling i think his parents were slightly worried because he still takes a lot of medication to make sure that his liver doesn't reject um and i think his parents were slightly worried about him going to south africa or to dubai or whatever in case there was a problem but actually he was very much of the attitude that he had a life and he had to live it and that's what he puts into everything every day so to me i know that if that is um if there's if there's an issue around something that he's doing he will beat himself up always far more than I would, you know, because that's just his personality. So for me, I trust absolutely totally that he is doing everything to the best of his ability, and that makes it easy, really.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Well, and you know what? The important point here, though, is that you also, I talked about this during the first show. One of the things that we overlook is that we always just look at our team members as team members, employees, we don't look at them as people. We forget to look at them as people. But you have done a wonderful job of remembering that this is a person. It's a human being who is working with you. It's not a robot. It's not a computer. It's an actual living, breathing person who has a personality, who has passions, who wants to do things to help their own lives as well as helping you. And by both of you keeping that in mind and keeping that friendship line there, I just love hearing what I'm hearing because it shows that the the role models are there for leaders and their team members to be able to relate to each other on a human basis and still get the job done. And I would speak- agree. Thank you. Yeah. And and speaking of role models, I wanted to throw one more thing back at Matt, because Matt, we just mentioned briefly, you are a unique male in a female-dominated industry. Talk to us about what attracted you to the industry and, and how you manage that and how you'd like to be a role model for other males.
3: I absolutely think that part of the reason that I came into this industry was because You look at this industry, and you've got to have certain personality traits. You've got to be quite caring. You've got to be respectful. You've got to have that level of trust. And if you look at other industries that are predominantly female, they have the same characteristics. You know, you look at uh, child carers or nurses, and they all contain those those traits. You know, they're caring, they're respectful, they're trustworthy. I think that one thing that it's definitely resounding within the industry nowadays is that more men are coming into the industry and it's being seen more as a career by men than just a job. Um, just a quick backstory uh, in the UK, um, why it is predominantly women, uh, back in World War One, it used to be the men who used to do the administrative tasks, um, World War One hit and they all got shipped out to war, so the women took over and ever since then it's just kind of stuck, but as time has progressed... More men are getting into industry, which is wonderful. I've met some amazing men around the world who are prominent role models within this industry as well and I hope to meet more as my role progresses and we travel more around the world.
1: Well, I think you're leading the way. You're definitely paving the way for other men to come into this industry, and I think it's wonderful. Uh, There are so many different personality types out there that men and women need to be able to interact with each other in many different ways, and this is a wonderful way for you to be able to support your executive. And uh, you can just see it. You can see it with what you do with Lucy and the respect that you have for each other. So I think it's awesome. And uh, if I were a male, I'd definitely be looking closely at you as a role model. I'm a female and I'm looking at you as a role model. I don't have to be a male. I'm looking at you as a role model anyway. (laughs) Now this brings us to the part of our show where we talk about our human connections because the work is hard, the hours can be long, but you have to be able to connect on a human level. So for the last 10 minutes of the show, I'd like to talk about food and my one of my favorite topics. I'm Italian and as a full-blooded Italian, I think it's my duty to bring food into everything I do. So <laughs> I wanted to ask you as well, I share recipes each week and I wanted to get recipes from each of you. You. I've asked you each about your favorite foods, and you have me drooling over here with the recipes you've been sharing and talking about, so who wants to go first and share your favorite foods, and I will be posting the recipes up on the show, so look for the show links, and you'll be able to see my recipe as well as Lucy's and Matthew's, so who wants to go first with their recipe? Matthew, why don't
2: you go first, and I bet it has something to do with cheese, am I right? <laughs> okay.
3: Yeah, it's spot on. Yeah, so mine is um, mac and cheese with extra cheese and bacon. Um, I've I, I, Ever since I was a child, and as Lucy mentioned, when I was in hospital when I was younger, uh, my parents have um, fond memories of me sitting there and eat anything else, and they would just give me a bowl of cheese and I would just eat and eat and eat it. And when I was a kid uh, growing up, I used to have mac and cheese a lot and then started to put other things into it, and I... Uh, found that you could put bacon into it as well. And for me, that is just, it's it's a dish that resonates with my childhood. And I absolutely, I could eat, well, I could eat, probably eat it over and over and over again. Not that it's probably healthy for me, but it's definitely <laughs> a dish that reminds me of my childhood. And just think Comfort about it now. food. Not, make it to food. Dinner.
1: Oh, I love it. Now, okay, you do yeah. you have a special mac and cheese recipe, or do you just take your favorite brand of mac and cheese and then add the bacon to it?
3: I normally follow a basic recipe and then put certain parts, times of about two or three, maybe the cheese parts. So um, there is a, a, a recipe. It depends on many people I'm cooking for or we're cooking for um, when it comes to the recipe.
1: Well, we look forward to putting that up on the website so that other people can share in mac and cheese with bacon. Hey, I said in my first show that I make my, my sauce with bacon. Uh, sausage, because, like Emeril Agassi says, pork fat rules. So <laughs> we want bacon. <laughs> okay, now to Lucy. Lucy, you sent over an amazing recipe for lamb. Please share what that recipe is, and and you know your family tradition on that.
2: Yes. Well, this is actually a French recipe, um, and it translates as crying lamb. Um, and it's called crying lamb because all the juices of the lamb, um, it, you put the lamb not in a dish, just in the top shelf of the oven, and the lamb weeps into the uh, dauphin potatoes that are underneath it. And usually we would um, make a shrewsbury sauce to go back with that as well, which is a very, it, it's quite a shell sauce, but it's got. Um, red currant jelly and things in it as well so it's, it's a bit kind of sweet sour but it's a beautiful recipe and it has got um mint and garlic and rosemary stuffed into the lamb and then you make the different ones, potatoes and as i say the juices of the lamb cook as it cooks over about three four hours go into the potatoes it um for me it was a recipe that my mother used to make um and it was always a real family favorite that's because it takes so long it was something that we would eat maybe on a Sunday when we had large numbers of people. And I am like you, Sandy. I absolutely love to cook. In fact, I have been made to cater for Fred's weddings and things for fun. So, um, wow! I, it's um, to me. I can't think of anything. I spent most of my life running, and actually, for me, one of my great joys in life is when I can have family at the house and I'm cooking for maybe sixteen people and. You know, they're sitting at my kitchen table and chatting to me while I'm cooking. And this, to me, is all about that. The whole house smells like home. All the kids are here. My sisters are here. My brother's here with their families. And we do one of those very long lunches that's kind of three hours long with everybody sitting around um, drinking (laughs) a couple of nice bottles of wine and chatting on a Sunday afternoon. So that's what that recipe means to me. And I really, really hope that a few of you out there will try it because it's sensational.
1: Well, I'm going to be one of the few immediately. I'm going to go find a leg of lamb, and I think maybe this weekend, if I have some time, I think I have time on Sunday, I am going to have a main dish of lamb with a side dish of mac and cheese and bacon. So I'll be thinking of you this weekend. And for my recipe this week, it's another Italian favorite. It's funny, I started this because so many people were asking me, about my Italian holiday recipes. And I put them up on Pinterest. And th- I've been getting hits on that Pinterest. Board so much that I said, Well, all right, I'm going to take these and I'm going to add them into the show. So, today's recipe from me is antipasto, which is a specialty salad that it's made by many Italians. It contains escarole, which is a whole different kind of lettuce. Now, you can use romaine, but we use escarole, and you don't use the outside tough leaves. You have to use the inside very tender yellow leaves. It's delicious. And then we put all kinds of Italian meat. and cheeses and olives and pepperoncini, you know those little Greek salad peppers? They call them Greek, but we use them in Italy. And then you coat it with a little olive oil. And now antipasto usually means after the pasta. So we... Normally, eat our salads, any salad, after our meal. Some of my friends have commented on that when they see me, the salad is sitting there and I'll put it aside and I'll eat my meal and then I'll eat the salad afterwards. And they laugh at me and I say, well, that's just the way we ate it in our house because it's after the pasta course. But on holidays we have so many courses. We start with some soup, which you'll hear about in another episode of the show. And it's called the Italian wedding soup, but we call it escarole soup. And there's where you use the outside less tender leaves of the escarole. So the inside is made for the salad and the outside goes into the soup. And that's what we do. So we have our antipasto on holidays because we have about nine or 10 courses that we go through. We have that second. But you can find all of the recipes on the show, um, on this show, on the show page, and you can go to the links that say recipes included each week. In fact, you'll get all of them because it will bring you to a page on my website where I share all the recipes from the show. So as we begin to close out real quickly, just maybe a 30-second snippet, what is the best thing that you can share with a leader, Lucy? Lucy what is your best tip? Communication, communication, communication.
2: I can't stress it enough. It's about making sure that your employees feel valued. It's about making it clear what your vision is. It's about making sure that they understand what their daily tasks are or um, what projects are out there and what you expect from them as opposed to just giving them things to do and them not understanding expectations. Just Mm. keep sharing exactly what it is that you need with them so that they can buy into your vision and run with it alongside you.
1: Awesome. And the most engaged employees are those who know exactly what to do and feel empowered to do it. And how about you, Matt? And where they're headed. Uh, Yes, right. Because if you don't know where you're going, how are you ever going to get there? And how can you help your, Hmm. your people get there if they don't know? Um, and Matt, what about you? Your best tip for a team member to stay engaged and and be that true business partner for their leader?
3: I think um, one thing I've experienced with quite a few assistants is as soon as they're no longer interested in the role, everything else seems to fall down around them. I think this role is becoming, it's no longer a job, you know, it's no longer a, a nice to have, it's a career. And people should see it as being in it for the long haul. The second you start to not enjoy doing your work or anything like that that's the time to get out you know you're not just affecting your job you're affecting your executive's role and the team around you so be sure you want to be in this role as I said it's no longer a job it is a career and as soon as people start to realize that a bit more the profession will keep moving forward as it does already
1: I love that. It is a profession. That's why they call it the administrative professional. We are professionals. And if everybody who is in that role is allowed to be the professional they truly are, then everybody wins. Well, I just want to say thank you again so much, Lucy, Matt. I have enjoyed this so much. I know our listeners are going to get a tremendous amount of knowledge and fun out of what we did today. Now, please join me next week listeners when we'll be diving into wow place rule number two which is that a wow place is respectful we'll be exploring the first rule of respect which is to always go first because effective leaders don't demand respect due to titles and power they command it through everything they say and everything they do in other words they earn it so i'm sandy Giroux, and i look forward to being with you on the next episode of leadership and life
0: Thank you for joining Sandy Giroux for Leadership and Life. Be sure to tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you again next week.